Hello and welcome to episode 8 of season 2 of Shades and Layers. I'm your host, Kutuanos Kosana Ritchie. Today's guest is hip-hop artist, cultural ambassador and social entrepreneur, Tony Blackman. The Brooklyn-based Howard graduate has been using hip-hop for social good and impact since the start of her career in the 90s. It's therefore no surprise that today, she is one of the names associated with mindful hip-hop. In this conversation, she discusses how creativity and self-expression are essential for well-being, how she uses mindfulness in hip-hop as a tool to help others to become their best selves, and how she herself heals through her work. Tony is the founder of Tony Blackman Presents, where she works with clients ranging from corporates to A-list celebrities and members of her immediate community in Brooklyn. She is a hip-hop ambassador and travels the world using hip-hop for connection and social change. This is our conversation on well-being, inclusion, safe spaces, and activism. How will I describe what I do? Well, now I'm an artist again. Okay. I am an artist and the art comes first. Mm -hmm. And um, I call myself, I guess, a creative professional and a social entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, Some would call me a humanitarian. My my lawyer, business mentor, uh, says that I I'm so altruistic that I live like I have a trust fund. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, but you don't. <laughs> but yeah, I'm an artist and a creative professional. Um, Let's talk about the social entrepreneur bit. What does that entail? Well, you know, social entrepreneurship. If the most basic definition is is uh, someone who runs a business or a project with the intention of social good. And so you also intend to make money, but uh, social good is in the forefront. So the, the, it's it's about social impact. And what kind of impact are you aiming for? My work, my impact is to help people feel well. Um, to help people heal and um, to transform themselves, um, to reconsider the way that they think and use their minds and to explore the possibility of using it in ways that are healthier, more productive, more loving, more kind and more creative. And why do you think this is a necessary service? Oh, you know, creativity is important. Um, Being able to heighten your access to your creativity and having confidence around that. And once you have confidence around that and you have access to technique, um, the messaging then changes. Um, A lot of times we think about social messaging, positive messages as um, people think it's corny, it's too kumbaya, when mm-hmm. really, um, if you can make it fly, if you can make it hot, you can make it rock, you can you can touch, move, and inspire people, make them nod their heads or pay attention, um, then that's a revolutionary act um, because you're, you're touching people at the core. And um, there's a lot of folks walking around numb, there are those who are walking around programmed and ignoring um, the part of themselves that knows better. Mm. And um, and so, I mean, like my passion is, is idealistic. It has always been idealistic. <laughs> and um, I still believe 
in the power of hip hop to change the world, the power of hip hop to help people heal, the power of hip hop um, to help people make themselves better. And how do you use hip hop to help this healing? I use hip hop in a variety of ways. So since the early 90s, I've been using hip hop in the context of a cypher. And in this cypher, it started with um, the Freestyle Union Cypher Workshop. And um, in this cypher, it's a circle. It's a participant-centered workshop where the participants um, teach themselves and one another. And all I do as a facilitator is put the focus on the table and guide. And um, the cypher builds community. It um, it helps nurture uh, confidence. It um, cultivates creativity, and it um, provides the participants with the tools that they need to become their best. And it takes the focus off of being the best mm-hmm. and being your best, which I think uh, alleviates a lot of pressure. And it also allows the the artists who are participating to be more sincere, more authentic, and more genuine. When people are more genuine, they then develop the confidence to be more vulnerable. When we become more vulnerable, we become more loving and more kind. We become more self-aware. And um, so that is the roots of the cypher. And then, uh, and I, that's what I've been doing. Some that's version of the because cypher. Because the cypher is usually competitive, right? You're flexing, no. you're showing off your skills. This well, I think in a commercial sense, <laughs> right. the cypher is often seen as competitive. Mm-hmm. If you look at some of the successful cypher programming, it was about competition. And I assert that those are not pure ciphers. Um, if you are in a cypher and no one is, the vibe is not, you don't have, you feel like you don't have to listen to other people. And no one is reminding you that you need to be listening and paying attention to others. That's not a cypher. That's an open mic. The cypher is the closest thing to a hip hop prayer. Legendary pop master Fable, he told me, he was at the Smithsonian. I was talking with him in Pee Wee Dance. And he said, Tony, cyphers have been happening for centuries. We dance in cyphers. We drum in cyphers. We eat in circles. We pray in circles. Like it's it's humanity. Um, mm. It's at its best is in the cipher and it's ancient. And that's when I started to learn more. You know, the cipher is zero and the sum of all things at the same time. And as I started to dig deeper yesterday, I interviewed Rasu Jelani, um, who is a cultural anthropologist and a curator. And he talked about growing up in as a five percenter and how much of hip hop language was influenced um, and shaped by the language of this sect of Islam. It's like spirituality has ever been ever so present in hip hop. But we don't see that or hear that on the radio. I mean, we don't see it. We don't hear it. And I think that's the part where making good music becomes activism. Right. Creating a platform for artists to know it's okay to have a positive message becomes a radical act. Bucking up against the the structures and the system that does not affirm, uplift, and support those artists who seek to make a positive impact. And that 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 right there is the work. Unfortunately, like in, in some of the circles where I've been applying for funds, is it's not seen as um social justice enough. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember being nominated for an award and I didn't get it because my work wasn't social justice enough. And I'm like, what's more radical, right? Than galvanizing a community of folk, including young people, making it intergenerational and um, providing a space where men almost unconsciously start to deprogram patriarchal tendencies and where people who wouldn't normally be together are comf- become comfortable being together. When did you realize that this was a path for you? I was an undergrad at Howard and I started the United Rappers Organization, the mm-hmm. URO. Mm-hmm. But I was a girl <laughs> and I was from the West Coast. Oh, dear. So I hear him here on the East Coast. So you've got all these folks looking alike. If you don't sit your California down, right? And so I didn't get any support and it was ahead of its time, but the seed had, has always been there within me. And so then while in grad school in um, 92, I started the hip hop arts movement also known as HAM. And it was a hip hop theater performance ensemble. But this was pre-terminology for hip hop theater. The term came around a few years later, but it was one of the first hip hop theater ensembles. And um, the reason why the Freestyle Union Cypher Workshop started uh, for MCs and rappers was because uh, Ethelbert Miller, a mentor of mine, he says, you were doing way too much. And I was like, what? He's like, you need to narrow your focus. You need to choose a lane. And so he walked me through choosing some. He's like, what do you want to work on? And and he made me, we wrote down everything I was up to. And then I decided to focus on becoming a great performer. Right. And so for 18 months, I committed to accepting every performance invitation. Um, No matter it was eight-year-olds or Mm -hmm. 80-year-olds, a political rally, a gala. I did them all. And I also decided that I wanted to learn how to freestyle. Right. And so So that's how how it all came about. And then the the activist in me recognized that the event was attracting community. Mm. And then when I saw that the, a month, uh, six weeks after we started, maybe six weeks to two months, we were doing it every Monday night. Then the teenagers started to come from high schools. Right. And that's Exciting. when it clicked in my head. <laughs> and then two months later, I realized we had an architect. We had a postal, postal service worker, um, a lawyer. Um, and then we had guys that worked at Kinko's or Verizon, <laughs> the phone company. And then we had um, some guys from a part of the city. Um, it was called, at that time, it was 21st and V and they called, their crew was called 21st and Vietnam. So the idea was 21st and Vietnam because there, it was the streets were like war. You know what I mean? Right. And so they came. And so, and when they started to come, then the white boys skateboarders with purple hair from the <laughs> suburbs came. And I was like, we've got something special here that's really resonating across the board. And it was my feminine idealism that believed that we could get rid of the whole crew. I'm in this crew, I'm in that crew and create a union, 
of people, a unified community. You're listening to Shades and Layers with Kutlanos Kosana Ritchie. With the rise of mindfulness as a practice in so many different spheres of uh, modern life, it's of course no surprise that it has its advocates within hip-hop circles. For example, Kendrick Lamar and Drake have both talked about their meditation practices in the past. And uh, an interesting development as far as hip-hop goes is that you will notice a rise in the popularity of lo-fi beats. In the next part of my conversation with mindful hip-hop advocate Tony Blackman, we discuss this trend and also her return to the stage as a performing artist, taking a break from the pandemic and all the socializing that she's done in between. But first, let's hear how her work with the hip-hop cypher has brought her to making mindfulness and meditation music. So you've always been about creating inclusive spaces. Mm-hmm. How does that yeah. overlap with uh, mindfulness? Well, the, the, the overlap with mindfulness is that we are now in a time where so many of us need some mental health support or need emotional support. And I started working on it with intention in 2013. Um, then when the, the pandemic hit, it just, it just, the demand just kind of just like kind of everything just kind of picked up mm. and I, I started to see like, wait a minute. Oh, wait. Oh yeah. I did this. Cause over the years I've done ciphers where we freestyled on topics related to domestic violence. Um, we've done environmental related ciphers, ciphers related to um, healthy food eating, financial literacy, um, HIV awareness. So then I was like, we can do the lyrical meditation cipher. So I tried an event a couple of years back, but it was the pandemic where it started to come together. And, um, and it, the, the two, it just, it just works. It works. We have, I have the lyrical meditation cipher, which is evolving into a podcast. It's now the lyrical meditation cipher, awesome. the podcast. And I have a, a core of eight artists. Mm-hmm. I tried to include the guys, but it's all women. <laughs> um, Two thirds of them what rap. To the guys, <laughs> I, you know, they come in, they would come, and it was so real and so vulnerable that even the sweetest guitar singer songwriter guy didn't come back. You know, no, <laughs> I, but the energy. Yeah, it's a lot of vulnerability to participate. A lot. Um, yeah, but we start. And so now we're doing, We each week we use a theme. Trust was one week. Honoring your word. Patience. Living your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, confronting your fear. Managing grief. And we've incorporated meditation. And then a prayer, breath work, and then a cipher. Mm-hmm. And after we rap and sing, we then talk. And so um, a couple of the artists are also coaches. We, I have a network of um, coaches and therapists right. that we tune into. And so it's been really fun to hone in mm. on um, and be, find a way to blend my, all of my passions. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of overlaps. I can see it's a yeah. multidisciplinary space you've created yeah. for yourself. So you've got uh, this um, lo-fi hip-hop and meditation. Yes. So there's this uptick in lo-fi beats all over the place. Can you touch a little bit on, um, you know, your take on that trend? 
Well, I had I had a few debates with some with a couple producer friends of mine who are really established. Some of them don't like the lo-fi. Why? Um, they, one, he called it elevator music, elevator hip hop. And I say, but you know what? I've always adored elevator hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. I've always adored it. And um, I feel like uh, lo, lo, lo-fi is, is it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Like we needed an alternative option where we could still head nod, mm-hmm. but be easy be easy and that was that's been a dream of mine i and it's and it's funny uh, a mentee of mine he says you've always been doing this and then he reminded me that even in freestyle union he said you would play a tribe called quest instrumentals burn incense bring your lamps from home to the art center have everybody sit in a circle and, and make the lights low and you would always preach about the vibe and he's like i didn't know what vibe was Mm-hmm. I know energy, energy was, and you would talk about this. And I was just like, he is right. And then I thought about some of the music. Um, it's my, my space is in that temple. It's in that lo-fi temple. Like I, I can freestyle for hours in that space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because it speaks to my heart and my spirit. And so that lo-fi, I believe that it is popular because people need something. And we needed and and they, we needed it to be relevant to our ears, so you couldn't just put on classical music, you know, um, our elevator music. It needed to have that element of hip hop present into hip hop is the most consumed genre in the world. Yep, you know, still. So mm-hmm. that, that that's why I think it's so relevant right now. So you talked about being an artist again. So that means you're back on stage. So yeah. what are some of your current projects? That's well, I'm I'm back on stage um, as uh, in theater. This was not my plan. This was not my plan in 2021, but an opportunity came up. Um, Jeremy, uh, the artistic director from Poetic Theater Productions in New York City, approached me and he's like, yo, we have a slot open. Um, an artist who can't do the festival. It's in six weeks. Are you in? And I was like, um, he was like, don't say no until we talk. And so we talked and he's like, what if you theatricalize your hip hop meditation and mindfulness music and just tell the story of how you've come to this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, yes. And so that's what I did. And it was, it was, it was a whirlwind because, you know, putting up a new piece is, it's so challenging to the sure. ego, subconscious mind, especially when you haven't done it in a long time. It was hard. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> so tell me about that theater piece. What's it called? And you it's know, called, how do you take us through your journey? It's called Let the Cypher Say Amen, a hip-hop meditation theatrical experience. And Let the Cypher Say Amen, it's called that because I really, really wanted to um, put myself in a position where I'm looking back. And I, I, did, I had an interview with Michael Viega, a music therapist and a professor uh, for a, a book he was writing. And he asked me about when was the first time you experienced energy? When was the first time you became present to this concept? And I started to recall memories I didn't know I had. Hmm. And then I realized now, Tuli, I have been doing this all these years. 
Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me until a few years ago that the cipher that I, the energy in the cipher I was focusing on, I was trying to recreate the energy from devotion. And devotion is church before church. Devotion, I would go to ch- devotion with my yeah. grandma and sit next to my grandmother. And the old people would sing these um, old spiritual hymns. Mm. Um, deep by the riverside. Da, da, da. And they would just moan and sing. And then they would catch the Holy Spirit. And some would cry and some would scream. And they would rock back and forth. So the play goes from there. And I just tell stories from the literally from six years old on on up and then then the cipher and then my travels to the continent of Africa and then to hip hop mindfulness. Fantastic. So what are the elements in uh, Let the Cipher Say Amen? What I was excited about was this was the opportunity to work with a video design team. And I've never had that in, in terms of my live performance. And so being able to work with the video design team that could bring the vision to life to use the scrim and video and put up images and play with lights. And, and, and then I had a dancer Um, Kim Holmes, Mm -hmm. um, who is bananas when it comes to um, street dance, hip hop dance, house dance, praise dance. Like she's um, just just incredibly talented. And then my guitarist, Jerome Jordan, who's played with some of everybody, said yes. And I just knew it was going to be good when I, you know, when I have these two people. (laughs) So those those are the the elements that are included in it and their storytelling. Mm-hmm. And spoken word, and then there's rap. I shot three music videos in February and March, mm-hmm. not realizing. Mm-hmm. You know how you do a thing, not realizing <laughs> why are you going to use it time. again? Yeah. And then perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. I used it in "Let the Cipher Say Amen." Yeah. So that's a reminder to artists to trust your gut. When your gut says do something, just do just it. Just do it. Yeah. What are your plans for the production? Well, I'm, 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 I'm at a crossroads as we open up back up. Yeah. How much do I want to be on stage? How many people do I want to be in the same room with? Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I really love the virtual world um, on to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then because it's a multimedia piece, it's not the thing that you can easily do outdoors. Um True. So I, I, I've been thinking through it. A couple of folks have asked me about touring. But I mean, things. New York is opening up theaters, right? Broadway's open up in September. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, and I just don't know. I've also been thinking about video, video production. Mm. And could this be a video product? Mm. Could it be something on Netflix and marketable and interesting and engaging? And how how could I make that happen? I'm very hesitant about the small spaces and. But how are you maintaining your social contacts? Because you are a very social person, and you know, <laughs> you performance know. also needs some kind of personal interaction. Yeah, it's it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm social, and then I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I spend seventy percent of my time by myself, mm-hmm. and I actually. Enjoy it so much it's scary but I was really social during the pandemic yeah. to the point where I just don't like I want to go um 
I'm I'm going to Senegal either July or August, some point. How do you manage all of this? (laughs) And I want to be by myself for like two weeks. You know what I mean? (laughs) But no, I don't hear you. (laughs) I don't know how I'm gonna manage it. Maybe I'll be going in December. We'll see. But I, I don't know how I'm going to manage the perform being a performer mm. in this age, this era that we're living in. Um, yeah. I know some people are so excited to get back on stage and to be with their bands. And I am to a certain extent. Right. This is Shades and Layers. Up next, my guest Tony Blackman talks briefly about her role as a hip-hop ambassador. Then, as usual, we get to know the guest. You'll find out how very influential her maternal grandparents have been in her life, and also how one conversation can change the trajectory of your life. What does a hip-hop ambassador do? Ah, a hip-hop ambassador... Uh, a hip hop ambassador does artist residency work. Basically, mm-hmm. it's it's similar to what an artist in residence would do in a different context, though. So, so the same way Winter Marsalis is a jazz ambassador, would show up, he'd perform, he'd collaborate, he'd teach kids, he'd teach um, developing emerging artists, give a talk, right. speak on a panel. Um, that's what I would. That's what I do. All right, but with hip hop. Okay, so let's talk about you then. We want to get to know you. You like being by yourself. Right. <laughs> You're from California. What are your top three memories from childhood? Oh, there's so many. Um, I guess one is my grandparents' home mm-hmm. and the love that filled that home, the fruit trees in the neighborhood where you could just go eat as many plums as you wanted, as many oranges as you wanted. There was a walnut tree. There were low cords. There was um, peaches fresh off the tree. And we would go uh, fishing for crawdads, crayfish, oh, wow. and then bring them back. And my grandma would get a big old crawfish pot and cook them. And we would sit on the driveway and just crack crawfish like popcorn. Um, <laughs> I remember stuff like that. And then I also remember um, doing talent shows. And yeah, I was dancing, you know, oh, cool. I, I danced. I had a lot of little dance groups, you know, the little kids, <laughs> sure. black girls dancing. I was like, <laughs> you know, little you dance. Your own crew. <laughs> yeah, I had my own little dance crew and, um, and writing, writing poetry. My aunt Jennifer, who passed last year, was a writer and a uh, poet and an English professor. Oh, and yeah. so she put a pen on my hand. And I just remember the access that writing gave me. Reading and writing gave me access to peace. I was a sensitive, precocious, opinionated, empathic, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, vocal child, although I was shy, but I was very passionate about justice, Mm. passionate about wrong and right, and called it out, sometimes inappropriately. And I felt everything in my bones. Right. And so having access to poetry, I think, saved my life. Sure. Um, kept, me on the, kept me on a path. Mm. Were you an only child, brothers and sisters, oh. big family, small family? Well, I was my mother's only child. Mm-hmm. And then, but I grew up with cousins, first cousins, who were mm. like my siblings. 
things. Yep. Um, and my grandmother babysat us all together. I also, my father also had other children. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a brother who was close in age to me who lived with his grandmother not far away. He became a part of my maternal family. Awesome. So much so he was in the obituary of my, my grandparents. And so we were very, very close. He suffered from suicide July, 2018. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and then my father had three other children that I am getting to know. They were much younger. Yeah. Cool. So California, which side? California, West side. I, it was a wonderful childhood for me. Mm. It was, I went to a high school that was known to be um, one of the most integrated in the country where, you know, my third grade picture looks like the UN, um, Mm -hmm. so the rainbow nation. And so it was very weird for me. I wanted to go to Howard for college. Yeah. I was going to ask how that experience was. Yeah. I wanted to have that black experience. I Mm -hmm. wanted to, I wanted to develop a network where I would have friends that were lawyers and broadcasters and writers, Mm -hmm. doctors and on-air personalities. And they looked like me. And um, my dentist who also went to Howard gave me the speech and he convinced me. And that's why I did that. But it was weird coming from where I grew up in the Bay. It was a different kind of upbringing. It was a working class town, Mm. but the time in which I grew up, it was, um, it was what America was supposed to be. Like you had yeah, the element of race. Yeah. You had racism. You had, you know, the ways in which COINTELPRO had impacted Black Americans and our communities. Um, but it was also something very beautiful about it. Yeah. So Howard, everyone calls it the Mecca. Is it? Um, it is. Um, I Let's say that if I'm transparent, I had a bittersweet experience in, in parts of my undergrad. Let's say it was half and half. Would I change it now looking back? No, because regardless of where I had gone to school, the life lessons I got, I was going to get. Mm. And life came to thicken my skin. Mm. Um, I grew up in a, it was sheltered. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and although there were certain things happening that happened in the outer world, it was a certain kind of sheltering. And then also when you go to Howard, like you might be, I was homecoming queen on varsity cheerleading squad, president <laughs> of black student union, a student leader, a right. da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. You go to Howard. You're not as special anymore. Everybody was a star in high school, you know? And so that was also, um, an adjustment. And so when people say the black college isn't the real world, lie, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, yeah. it really hit me. It really hit me in some deep and profound ways. And also, I wasn't prepared for college. Um, and so it was good for me to be at Howard. One, my family didn't didn't have the capacity to prepare me. And then two, the school, my public schooling left a lot to be desired in terms of education, test prep, college prep. I wasn't prepared. And so my GPA, my first year was the lowest it had ever been in my life. And, um, and then financially, my mother assumed because I didn't have money 
I was just going to go to UC Davis and take one of those scholarships, you right. know? <laughs> so there were these college campuses, really great schools in California. Yeah. If you, yeah. Were black, if you were black, Mexican or Filipino, you could get a full ride. But I didn't want to look at cows in the morning. I wanted to be in Washington, D.C. Sure. And, and um, my only other school choice was NYU, which was straight out of budget. <laughs> <laughs> big dreams, big dreams. <laughs> And so that that's how I just I got really focused on Howard and I guess I was so determined. I think at first she didn't believe me. And then she saw that look in my eyes and she was like, <laughs> OK, going whether or not. So she just kind of kind of joined in. Um, but, yeah, there was there was resistance up until the very end. I had gone to a conference Mr. Pizzamini, the late Frank Pizzamini, he was a student leader advisor. He's an Italian man who smoked way too many cigarettes, <laughs> uh, ate a lot, drank beer, and he uh, cursed. He had a few curse words here and there, but he loved his students. Every time there was a conference for um, black and brown youth, he would make sure I was on the list. One conference called Strategies for Success in San Francisco was for women. And there were all kind of women business leaders there. And I saw the editor from Essence, Susan Taylor. Oh, wow. And Beatrice Nivens, who was the financial editor. And I remembered because I, I would read my mom's magazines cover to cover because yeah, Essence magazine yeah. back then. That's the Bible. <laughs> that was the Bible for black girls, black women. Like you could black women, they're successful. And I remember going up to them after they spoke and talking to them about my dream of going to Howard. And it was like, there was another woman whose name I don't remember. They circled around me mm-hmm. and I swear they sprinkled fairy dust Aww. and they convinced me to go. And when I said, well, you know, my mom's not sure. And then, then Susan Taylor said, it's not your mother's choice. This is your life. <laughs> it was well, just like, <laughs> it was divine and they convinced me that I could do it That's and really I, I believe so important one one meeting and I be, I believe them and so that's why people always ask me when I talk to young people I go eye to eye because mm. that yeah. one conversation could alter their entire destiny. Don't ever sleep on a conversation. I don't sleep on, because that conversation, I also met Diane Carroll that day. And Diane, (laughs) Diane Carroll. What was going on? Like the angels came out that day. (laughs) And I was also bold. At that time, like I was quietly bold. Youth. (laughs) Youth. The the youth, the ignorance of youth. You don't care. No, I went, like, I'm going to be, Diane Carroll was my hero, my shero. And so I'm like, I am going to meet Diane Carroll. So I would sit on the side and I, that's when I developed my strategy in high school. Cause I was kind of shy. Mm. If I wasn't performing, I was shy and a little and insecure. And so I would, fi- I figured out I speak well. So mm. if, and I had a good voice so that if I could figure out a good question, people would want to talk to me. The good one. Nice. And so I did it. I did it. And it always worked. Um, and so I figured that out. But Diane Carroll, she did. She dropped gems too. She, I mean, she was just so intentional with her eye contact mm-hmm. and she touched my face. And it was just, it was just, um, aren't you something? I remember well, her saying, aren't okay. you something? <laughs> 
Yes. Oh, conversations that can change your life. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. How do you take care of yourself? I'm an advocate of self-care. I preach it. Mm-hmm. I'm much better at preaching than I am practicing. <laughs> the the pandemic, I've I've been getting I've gotten really good and I've got some really great habits. I have a morning ritual, a night ritual. I got a few things that I needed, you know, the humidifier, the um, the diffuser for the oils, my uh plant medicine in quotes for sleeping mm-hmm. better. Um, I found a high quality eye mask to black out the light. (laughs) So I believe in doing the things that will nurture your spirit and that also will improve your physical health. Um, So I observed Ramadan this year. I did great with prayers until theater week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And then I I, spoke with an elder, a mentor, just about how to adapt to the fasting. Mm-hmm. So, um, cause I couldn't drive fast the whole time cause of my health. Um, but I figured out a way to juice fast oh, and, yeah. um, I, I cleanse every season or every other season. So I'm doing a cleanse two to four times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, the body is the temple and I have a sensitive temple. So I don't have a choice whether or not to put these practices into play. It's not right. a choice. So I slip and I've got a boil. I've got eczema. I've got headaches, I've got, you know, stomach aches. So I don't get to slip. So yeah. Tony, what's next for you? What are your ambitions for Tony Blackman Presents and your other projects? Yeah. Well, right now I'm finally in a space where I am clear. Mm-hmm. about what I'm doing. It's really, everything is centered on the cipher. The book is called Wisdom of the Cipher, mm-hmm. right? And it's spiritual insights I've gleaned from years of hosting and organizing ciphers. The um, theater piece, Let the Cipher Say Amen. Um, the podcast is the Lyrical Meditation Cipher. And then I have this hip-hop meditation and mindful music and then the the other project uh, is the Global Women Cipher, which um, producer Kirsten Magwood is going to be uh, producing. It's been a long road to get here, mm-hmm. but I feel crystal clear. I feel focused. Even the co- I'm doing a few collaborations with African artists, but even the content I'm looking now is to shape the song themes and titles to, mm-hmm. so that they are also mindfulness related. And so mm-hmm. where can people enjoy your work or connect with you? Oh, well, I'm on Instagram a lot at Tony Blackman mm-hmm. and on Twitter at Tony Blackman and on TikTok at Tony Blackman five, the number five. And I started a YouTube show, um, How to Freestyle. And so my website is TonyBlackmanPresents.com and, I, and I'm, I'm available in the DMs. I'm very reachable. And that's all from Shades and Layers this time around. Thank you, Tony, for sharing your story so openly and with so much heart. Please visit the show notes for links to the platforms mentioned in the interview. You can also stay in touch in between episodes by following me on Instagram under the handle at Shades and Layers podcast, one word. And as always, thanks for listening. Your positive feedback means so much to me, as does your consistent support. Until next time. Please do take good care.